Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi, Reimagining Love listeners. I wanted to take a moment to sincerely thank you for listening to the show, especially those of you who've been here from the beginning. Your choice to show up here each week and develop relational self-awareness alongside me makes this all possible, and I hope the podcast is bringing lots of goodness into your life and your relationships. You know, one of the best ways to support Reimagining Love is to leave a positive review in Apple Podcasts. To do so, simply visit the show homepage, scroll down past the recent episode listings, and click the Write a Review button beside the paper and pen icon. And if you don't have access to Apple Podcasts, no worries. Sharing this podcast with someone in your life who would benefit from it is another wonderful way to support us. I want to take a moment and share some recent reviews and thank these listeners for sharing their thoughts. Peaches Plum writes, I can't get enough and recommend often to friends when they mention troubles they are facing. This show has broadened my mind when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Dr. Solomon's voice is so soothing, it's always a lovely listen. Ah. And then Jules0414 writes this. This is one of the best podcasts out there on relationships in its breadth of topics, relevance to real challenges people experience at various life stages, and the expertise of Alexandra Solomon. She also brings diverse guests from various backgrounds and ages. Ugh, these reviews mean so much. So thank you to these reviewers and to all of you for being here and committing yourself to more love, more connection, and more growth. Welcome to part two of our early dating series here on Reimagining Love. Last week's episode was called Why You're Frustrated with Dating Apps. It was an episode designed to give you some context, 
some information, and mostly some validation about this very tricky world of modern dating. Last week's episode was about the why, and today's episode is very squarely about the how, how to bring relational self-awareness to your dating app. If you're going to be using a dating app, I want you to feel really empowered, like you are choosing to pick up this tool and use it. So we're going to talk today about what that looks like. It can be helpful to think of your dating app as a meeting app. It's a meeting app, not a dating app. It's just a means to an end. And the end is you meeting a person. So these 12 strategies are not designed to like whatever, make you more attractive to somebody or guarantee your success. These are 12 strategies that are designed to take care of you, to help you take care of you as you use the app. These are 12 strategies that are designed to really help you be intentional and thoughtful and careful about your mental health, your emotional health as you engage with dating apps. These are my 12 favorite relational self-awareness informed strategies that are a blend of suggestions derived from my research and my clinical work, as well as suggestions from my Instagram community in response to a sticker that I had posted a while back on Instagram. So here we go. Strategy number one is don't forget about the possibilities for meeting somebody in real life. Dating apps and meeting through family and friends have been found to be the two most common pathways to partnership. Interestingly, dating apps are slightly more common for folks who are LGBTQIA+, and meeting through family and friends is slightly more common for folks who are straight. So just keep in mind a both and. It's not an either or. You can use a dating app and also be putting yourself out there in real life. I love the idea of you keeping open possibilities for meeting somebody in real life because it will reduce that sense that you are dependent on a dating app to find love. You are not dependent on a dating app to find love. In fact, those two methods, dating apps and old-fashioned meetups, old-fashioned meet-cutes, old-fashioned getting set up through a friend, those you know compete for the number one spot of most common ways to meet somebody. So keep it open. Here's some things you can do to make sure that you're keeping open possibilities for meeting folks the old-fashioned way. First of all, don't forget about having friends set you up. That remains a really common way. I know that there can be some vulnerability in asking your friends to keep an eye out for a potential partner, but remember that it feels really, really good to be the helper, to be the matchmaker. So remind yourself that by saying to a friend, hey, keep an eye out for me, you're doing them a favor by giving them an opportunity to be the matchmaker, to be helpful to you. So it's not selfish, in fact. It's arguably quite generous. You also could set your friends up with people in your orbit. And that kind of creates a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a back and forth, a little bit of them returning the favor. Keep an eye out for friends of friends when you're out at group gatherings. Maybe there's somebody who's been sort of this like tertiary person in your social realm that now you see once again with fresh eyes. That might happen. There's other things that you can do like meetups, 
especially meetups that are designed for single people. Think about different kinds of um, sports, you know, communities, running, biking, soccer. Think about gyms, yoga studios. Think about networking events for your particular industry or job. And think about alumni events for your high school, for your college. Then there might be, again, an opportunity for somebody from your past to just show up again and you see them with fresh eyes. Logan Yuri, who wrote the book, How to Not Die Alone, has an event decision matrix in which she encourages you to ask yourself two questions when you're considering whether or not to attend an upcoming event with an eye towards, is there maybe possibly going to be somebody interesting there? Ask yourself this. One, how likely am I to interact with other people? And two, how likely am I to enjoy the event? If you can give yourself a pretty affirming answer to both those questions, like, actually, yes, I'm pretty likely to be able to interact with people, meaning it's a networking event versus a play. And yes, I'm pretty likely to actually just intrinsically sort of enjoy the event, then that's a reason to give yourself a little push, a little nudge to go and do it, or to have a friend give you a little bit of a pep talk to go and do it. Logan goes on to give some suggestions for if and when you do show up in real life at an event that might have the potential. She suggests that you go alone. That way you are more motivated to approach people and you show up looking more approachable. She suggests that you put your phone away. I love that one. It's difficult, but I think we all are at risk of pulling out our phone in an effort to manage our social anxiety. So phone away by yourself. And then don't be afraid to bust up the gender script. If you are a woman or somebody whose gender expression tends to be such that the expectation by our society is going to be that you are supposed to be approached and waiting to approach, bust that shit up. (laughs) Make the first move. Put yourself out there. Be brave and then make sure that you come home and celebrate how freaking brave you were. And then finally, before we move on from this first strategy of keeping open the possibility of meeting somebody in real life, it's a really good practice to just keep flexing your small talk muscles anywhere you are and everywhere you are. Compliment the barista's tattoo. Tell the person next to you in line that you love their shoes. This isn't even about flirting and it's certainly not intended to be a pickup. It's just you reminding yourself that you are interesting and that you are interested in the world around you. And actually, research shows that it's actually good for you. So research out of the University of Chicago that was done mm, about 10 years ago, they had Chicago commuters, well, they first of all asked Chicago commuters whether they would prefer to sit quietly or whether they would prefer to interact during their commute. And most people said they would prefer to sit quietly. Okay, so then the researchers randomly assigned people to either sit quietly as they normally would do on their commute or strike up a conversation with the person next to them. And wouldn't you know, the people who were randomly assigned to talk to the person next to them reported a more positive experience of the commute. Small talk is good for us. It's a low lift low effort, low stakes kind of an engagement, one that keeps you feeling connected to yourself and connected to the world around you 
And it's yet another way for you to remind yourself that you are not wholly dependent on your phone for contact. You are not dependent on your phone to mediate your relationships. And that is so important for us to have those little micro moments of remembering and making sure that our social skills don't atrophy in this era of technology that we're living in. Strategy two, get clear on your why. Why are you using this dating app? According to Pew, the Pew Research Center, 44% of people on dating apps report that they're there to meet a long-term partner. And 40% of people report that they're there to date casually. So it doesn't matter your intentions. You are not alone. You're not alone whether you're there just for a good time or whether you're there to look for long-term partnership. Either way, you're good. You're not alone, but it is important to be clear. And honestly, I've always found it a little bit strange that people tend to ask each other on their first date, what are you looking for? Because it's a first date. How the heck would you know what you're looking for? And that's because in part, dating is about tolerating mystery and being willing to be surprised. Maybe you thought you were just out here looking for something casual, but then your connection with this person feels so good and you can't help but begin to imagine something a little bit more serious with them. So I think sometimes that people say they're looking for something casual from a place of protection. Protection perhaps of the other person because then they're basically telling the other person, keep your expectations of me low. Protection perhaps of themselves, because if you lose interest in me, then I can fall back on the defense. Well, I told you I was only looking for something casual. Or protection of yourself, perhaps because there might be a fear that if I declare what I really want, if I declare that I really want a serious relationship, then I'm going to end up feeling more disappointed in how this turns out. But having said all of that, I do come back to, to the degree you can, get clear on your motivation. What are you here for? Why are you showing up for this date? Because I think that one of the more stressful relationship dynamics is you know, what we call like a mixed agenda situation where one person is viewing dating as a means to an end commitment and the other person is viewing dating as a low commitment, high adventure kind of a proposition. So I don't want you to be caught up in either one of those versions of that mixed agenda. I want you to be, to the degree you can, meeting up with people who have a similar motivation to your motivation. So to the degree you can, be clear on what you are looking for and why. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. 
Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Strategy number three, have your friends proof your dating profile. I love this one. I love the idea of crowdsourcing your profile. Not because you can't do it alone. I am quite sure that you are independent and competent and fully able to do this on your own. But I love the idea of you crowdsourcing because it's another sort of micro practice of vulnerability of letting other people help you. It's also an opportunity to have your friends kind of boost your confidence a little bit, have your friends be invited to highlight your awesomeness to you. And I mean, you've heard me say on the show before, the self is inherently relational. So I love the idea that the process of creating your profile then gets to be a relational process as well. That you are from the very, very beginning of putting yourself out there. You're not, you don't have to go it alone, right? You're not alone in this. You are surrounded and the people who know you probably have perspectives on you that you might have lost sight of or suggestions. And again, it's not because you can't, it's not because your urges or instincts are wrong. It's just a chance to feel a bit less alone and to feel connected and to make sure that you've got, you know, just a couple of more perspectives. And while we're speaking of profiles, I said this last week, but it's so important. I'm going to say it again. You are not your profile. You are not your profile. You are far too magnificent and multifaceted to ever be reflected adequately or fully in your profile. Your profile is just there as a little wave designed to get somebody else's attention. That's it. And remember to use photos from the last year, right? So choose photos that you love, that you feel happy with, but choose photos that are, that are relatively recent, you know, for your sake. Okay. Suggestion number four. This is definitely one of my favorite suggestions. Put your swiping under stimulus control. What do I mean? Stimulus control is a term from behavioral psychology, which means that we only do a certain behavior in a certain context. Because most of us have our phones in our hands nearly around the clock, you could be swiping any time of the day or night. You could be swiping during your commute. You could be swiping while you're in line at Trader Joe's. You could be swiping on the treadmill, right? This swiping could sneak into any little nook and cranny of your entire day. And there's a way in which that degrades the act of swiping. Listen, even if you're looking for a hookup, even if you're just using the app to find a hookup, a hookup is a kind of engagement, right? That's an erotic engagement and a kind of engagement that warrants your full attention and your care. And the idea of treating it It's just a little bit of a sacred behavior, a chosen behavior, not a reflexive behavior. So I love the idea of you creating a context for swiping. Maybe it is after dinner on your back patio, you know, with a cup of tea. Maybe it is when you get home from work, you know, while you're having a glass of wine or sparkling water. But there's a time of day, there's a context, there's a setting for when and where you do it. 
And then when it's put away, it's put away until the next time so that there's some intentionality, some purposefulness, some choice around it. Also, I like the idea of you kind of having a timer in mind of how long you're scrolling. It's such a setup. You know, we know all of the, that our brain chemistry shifts when we're using any kind of, you know, app or social media or whatever on our phones, that our brain chemistry shifts. We can get a little bit ruminative, a little bit grabby, a little bit obsessive. I've heard people say to me, like, it's really hard to stop swiping because what if my soulmate was one more swipe away and I put my phone down too soon? Okay. So then set a number. How many swipes are you going to make in a given moment? How long will you be on? How often will you check? How many profiles are you going to look at each day, right? Just give yourself a limit, especially if you're somebody who knows that you're a little bit prone to getting lost in something. I think this is a both and. So I like the idea of setting the parameters and putting it on stimulus control. And also along with that, just stopping the moment you start to feel the twists in your stomach, the anxiety spiking, the dread setting in, shut it down and step away. So really like noticing how you're feeling in the moment. And so in part, by putting the swiping under stimulus control, you are setting yourself up to enter that space, do the thing, shut it down and move on. And you also are giving yourself permission to just follow some internal cues. Okay, now is the time I was supposed to be doing it. I did it for a while. I'm kind of feeling maxed out. Put it down and go do something else. Okay, strategy number five is, you gotta listen carefully to this one. Move from URL to IRL ASAP to avoid SMIAB. <laughs> I love this one. Okay, let me break it down. Move from URL to IRL ASAP to avoid SMIAB. What the heck am I saying? Move from URL, meaning screen life, to IRL in real life as soon as possible to avoid what Daniel Jones from the Modern Love column of the New York Times called soulmate in a box. S-M-I-A-B, soulmate in a box. Daniel Jones coined that term years ago to kind of capture the way in which online dating can set us up to get stuck in screen to screen, kind of low grade, low interest, low nuance, low vulnerability conversation. A lot of relationships sort of die on the vine because they get stuck in pretty, you know, it's hard to sustain back and forth texting that goes on and on and on. Why? Because I don't know you. How many more times can I ask you how your day was if I have no broader context or understanding about what this day means in the particular landscape of your life? And if we haven't met yet, there's very little I'm actually going to be interested in or willing to share with you from my day, right? Until we've met, you have no context for understanding why this particular thing that happened in my day matters to me or doesn't matter to me. So, moving from screen to screen to face to face as soon as possible to prevent getting stuck in a pretty thin engagement. Try to meet somebody relatively quickly after you first connect. Don't message and text forever. I also like the idea of scheduling a call before you meet somebody. Years ago, I proposed this to a group of my grad students and one of them was like, yeah, 
My mom said the same thing. And at first I cringed because talking on the phone is so incredibly uncomfortable. But then I started to do it. And what I realized was I could actually rule out a lot of people just based on that phone call where I just wouldn't be interested to meet them in person. And then if I was interested enough to meet them in person, I actually found myself going into the first date a bit more excited because I had done some amount of screening. So, you know, if meeting face-to-face feels like, especially if you're somebody who's got a really busy work life or you've got, you know, you're a single parent or you've got other kinds of childcare demands or caregiving demands, your time is precious. And I want you to you know, feel like you're showing up for a date excited and that you feel like it's going to be worth your time, not a waste of your time. Not that we can ever control, you know, we can never guarantee it, but a phone call can be a pretty helpful screening tool. So I like the idea of going from messaging to texting, to a phone call, to a date and doing that in pretty quick succession and having a pretty low bar from getting from one to the next, right? I don't want you to be You don't need to feel like you are scrupulous and perfectionistic about knowing whether somebody crosses that threshold, but just let it, you know, kind of check in with yourself, like as is flowing from one modality to the next and as quickly as feasible getting to that first in-person meeting. Okay. Strategy number six, limit your pre-Google. This might be a tough one for some of you. (laughs) My friend Bella Gandhi runs the Smart Dating Academy here in Chicago, and she recommends to her clients that they look at page one of this person's Google results only. That way, by looking at page one, you can catch if there's anything glaring that would keep you from wanting to meet with them or keep you from feeling safe meeting with them. But by only looking at page one of those search results, you are limiting your chances of letting your anxiety run away and ending up in a spot where you're ruminating and obsessing. The point of meeting someone is to get to know them. So I love this idea of leaving some room for mystery. I had a grad student once who ended up doing a deep dive on her upcoming date. And then after a glass of wine, she asked him a question about some detail of his life that she had learned online, but which he had not yet shared with her. And so it ended up being this like sort of awkward moment. Was it the end of the world? No. Did she end up feeling a little bit self-conscious? Yes. So I think that, you know, one of the side effects of living in this era of technology is that we're so used to having answers to any question we have in any moment. So I think we're all a little bit lousy at sitting with unanswered questions. I think we're a little bit lousy at tolerating imperfect and incomplete amounts of information, right? Because we can, we can keep digging online and getting the answers to lots and lots and lots of our questions. So I get it. I understand the urge to do the research, but you can end up reinforcing this notion that you can't handle mystery, complexity. And I think that really you can. I think you can tolerate that. And I want you to have practice tolerating that. And I think that you can end up putting yourself in a corner where you're going to end up having self-critical voices in your head. If you're scrolling through this person's social media feed, if you go back far enough, you're going to find their last partner and their partner before that. And you're going to be seeing things about their life that A, may have no bearing on their life today, and that B, 
lead you to create a story in your head about how you think you might or might not measure up to their prior partners. And you're going to make yourself more anxious than you even need to be in a way that's going to make the whole project of dating feel that much more stressful. So limit your pre-Google. Okay. Number seven needs to be said, which is just a reminder to practice some basic safety guidelines, especially if you're a woman, especially a woman who dates men. Make sure that someone in your world knows where you're going to be on this date. Make sure that you meet your date there. Make sure you meet in public. Don't give your date your address. Take your drink from the bar if you're going to have a drink. Limit your alcohol, certainly. And if you are a man who dates women, especially if you're a man who dates women, take responsibility for helping her feel safe. You may know darn well that she is completely safe with you, but it's incumbent upon you to have empathy for the fact that she has no reason to know or trust that she's fully safe with you. Have empathy for the risk that she's taking in going out with you. So what can you do to help her feel safe? Make sure that you don't ask her for her address. Make sure that you meet her in public. Make sure that she sees that you've gotten the drink directly from the bar or better yet, let her grab her drink herself. This is not, you know, the things that she needs to do to feel safe are no reflection of you as a person and you actually can ease the responsibility and burden on her by taking the lead on some of that, by creating the conditions where you take those questions off of her plate. Okay, number eight. Remember that a successful first date is one in which you are feeling open to a second date. A successful first date is not butterflies. It doesn't have to be fireworks. A successful first date certainly does not have to require the thought I know I'm going to marry them someday. As much as we culturally, you know, are obsessed with these stories of love at first sight. I want you to define a successful first date as openness. Hmm. Like this. Hmm. (laughs) I am interested and open to the idea of seeing them again. Certainly, you do not need to force yourself to persist past an absence of attraction or an absence of connection. But I would like to challenge you to trust the idea that curiosity can be enough and to know that attraction may take time to build. So consider perhaps a lower bar for a second date. You cannot possibly be known in the short amount of time that a first date might take. They cannot possibly be known in the short amount of time that a first date may take, right? We we take a little while to unfold. It takes a measure of trust and familiarity to open, you know, the inner more chambers. By the way, we're going to talk a lot more about first dates on next week's episode. Number nine, keep an eye out for signs of dating burnout. So think about your emotional readiness to go on a date as happening across a bell-shaped curve. One end, like picture in your mind, the bell-shaped curve, like the left side of the bell-shaped curve over there, we've got flatness. Like I am dreading this first date. I don't want to go. I'm flat. 
And the right side of the bell-shaped curve is frantic. I'm frantic, I'm terrified, I'm panicked. The middle, right, the sort of like juicy middle of the bell-shaped curve is I feel present and I feel energized. That's where I want you to be to the degree that you can when you're going on a date. Present and energized, curious and open. If you are finding yourself consistently, especially, moving towards that flat end of the bell-shaped curve, starting to dread your first dates, feeling like you're wearing the same outfit over and over again, not because of simplicity, but because you just don't care. Going to the same place over and over again, not for simplicity, but because you just don't care. If you're starting to make those kinds of choices and you don't want to be doing it, that's a pretty good sign that you are getting burned out. And burnout, I don't want you to be judging. There's no need to judge yourself for getting burned out. Burnout happens, especially understandably so in this modern dating context. So keep in mind that dating gets to be a marathon, not a sprint, and give yourself a break. Take the dating apps off of your phone for a while. Focus on all the other parts of your life, your friends, your family, your work, your hobbies, resting. You're not on the clock. You have time. Resist this narrative that there's urgency and pressure and you know clocks are ticking. It is far better to press pause than to push through. Cynicism and exhaustion are going to block your capacity to feel desirable and to feel desirous. Right? Those feelings, feeling cynical, feeling exhausted, those are going to shape how you show up. And it's not about being less attractive to somebody else. It's about when you are burned out, it's harder for you to tap into all of what makes you you, all of your curiosity, all of your you know brightness, all of your conversational skills. Those are going to flatten out if you're feeling burned out. So it's going to be more effective in the long run for you to press pause, step away, take a little break, catch your breath, and then try again when you feel a little more energized, a little lighter, a little more open and available. Number 10 is to communicate clearly with people. You've heard me say before that clarity is not cruelty. Be mindful to not waste your own time. Be mindful to not waste other people's time. For women who date men, subvert the gender script. Get in the driver's seat. It's why Bumble is so popular. Taking the lead, initiating contact, it's going to leave you feeling more empowered. And I suspect if you're a woman who dates men, the men that you're considering dating will feel relieved that you're taking some of the pressure off of them. I know that people have found it helpful to keep a note on their phone with some ending language like, I enjoyed meeting you, but I'm not feeling a connection. Or, you know, I enjoyed meeting you. I'm not interested in seeing you again. I'm wishing you well. Like having some language, sort of ready-made language can help with some of the awkwardness of clear communication. But know that um, when you communicate clearly with somebody, even if it's that you're not interested in seeing them again, you're doing your part in moving us collectively towards a world where people are dating with a bit more consciousness and a bit more respect for each other. And when you communicate clearly with people, you get the benefit of watching yourself be brave and be part of, you know, just creating positive 
connections in the world, even if that positive connection is letting somebody go and move on to somebody else who might be better suited for them. Okay. 11 is for you to pause your dating app when you meet someone that you're intrigued by so that you give yourself a chance to really pursue how you feel. It takes a lot of mental bandwidth to pursue multiple potential leads at the same time. And so that might be one of the things that sets you up for burnout. Therefore, I like the idea of pausing your dating app when you feel a potential connection. This is not about, you know, an obligation you have or you have to do it because it's not fair to date multiple people. It's not about that. It's not about fairness. It's not really even frankly about like boundaries or obligation that you have to other people. It really is just more about you setting yourself up to give this one potential lead the best chance possible to take root and grow. It's really about you preserving your energy so that you are investing the most that you can in this potential connection. Do you hear that difference? It's not about like what you're obliged to do for somebody else. It's really not about that because dating you know, sort of inherent in dating is the idea of multiplicity. But notice that point where the very fact that you have multiple open tabs, that you're pursuing multiple connections might be kind of like, you know, distilling or like taking energy away from any possible connection. So consider the idea of pausing the app when you meet someone that you're thinking, huh, I may want to learn a little more about this person. Okay, the last one, Number 12 is know your deal breakers while also staying open-minded. That's a both and, isn't it? Deal breakers and open-mindedness. You get to have deal breakers. Of course you do. But I want to encourage you to check in with yourself about why that particular trait, that particular habit, that particular characteristic is a deal breaker for you. Ideally, A deal breaker is something that would keep you from being able to hold the other person in warm regard or in high esteem. Ideally, a deal breaker is something that would keep you from opening up to them, which is a slightly different framing than I think what people often do, which is a deal breaker is like something that I judge. I judge this. I don't want it without a particularly good reason. Or what's behind the deal breaker is I think that my friends or my family would make fun of them or diminish them. And listen, I'm not saying that those aren't real concerns. We judge stuff because we judge it. We worry about our friend's opinion. Like those are real concerns. But I think that they also may be an unfortunate reason to miss out on somebody who might have been really wonderful for you. So just make sure that your deal breakers are kind of rooted in this idea of, I'm not going to be a great partner to somebody who believes in that or who behaves like that or who is interested in that. Like It's not going to bring out the best in me. I'm not going to be the best suited person to love them. But kind of framing your deal breakers that way really kind of frames a deal breaker in a relational self-awareness framing. I love also the idea of you staying open-minded, of being surprised. I want to challenge you to resist the urge that you have a type. Certainly, you know, there are elements of attraction that we don't know why we're drawn to the people we're drawn to. But I 
worry that people get invested in the idea that they have to have a type or they feel like they do have a type and the type begins to have this kind of capital T truth around it. And I think if for no other reason, the problem with having a type is when you say, I have this type, the universe is going to send you somebody who does not fit that type and challenge you to, you know, what what the heck are you going to do with the fact that this person is not your type, but you're feeling drawn to them anyways. So the less you have a type, the more you're sort of saying to yourself and to the universe and to the people around you, I'm open to possibility. I'm open to surprise. I'm open to the fact that I may not, in fact, have to know everything, right? I invite the mystery in. I love that. I love leaving a little bit of space for wonder and surprise that you don't have to have this all figured out. So certainly deal breakers, I get it, but also challenge yourself to stay open-minded. Let love surprise you. Okay, there you have it. Part two of our early dating series, 12 Strategies for Swiping with Relational Self-Awareness. I am, as always, eager for your feedback. Which of these 12 strategies felt new to you? Which ones kind of echo or reinforce what you've already been doing? I'm especially eager to hear if you decide to tweak something about your dating behavior because of what you heard in this episode, how did it go? What felt different for you? Share your experience with me so that we can continue to learn and grow together. Make sure that you join me here again next week on Reimagining Love for part three, how to bring relational self-awareness to a first date. Until next time, take good care of you. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.